Whether you host a nightly dinner party for two or five, keeping your eating and dining area clean helps keep your mind on the dinner party and not on the cleanup afterwards. Viva paper towels clean like cloth, trapping splatters and sauces that could become countertop stains or stuck on messes. And they're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. For an exceptional cloth-like paper towel, there's Viva. Visit vivatowels.com to soak up the clean feeling of home. And you're on right now with Jim Dawes, your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an American nationalist perspective. On the Mojo 5.0 radio network and streaming on demand at iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, and YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter at RightNowJimDawes or shoot me an email at RightNowJimDawes at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you can leave me a voicemail at 772-245-0750. That number again, 772-245-0750. Leave a voicemail there with your questions or comments, and we will use your comments on a future broadcast. Bill Barr is testifying before the Senate Judiciary Committee this morning. And if you haven't watched that, uh, you should uh, really take the time to uh, at least watch the questioning up to and uh, including um, uh, Senator Bob Lee of Utah's questioning. Because uh, this testimony really reveals a lot about the dishonesty that the uh, New York Times, the Washington Post, and the uh, Democrat media mouthpieces have been trying to spin that uh, Bob Mueller, I mean, I'm sorry, but that uh, Bill Barr was somehow misrepresenting Bob Mueller's uh, report in his initial four-page summary. Senator uh, Lindsey Graham of South Carolina opened the questioning, and uh, he, he pointed out that the bottom line takeaways to this uh, the so-called report, it's really a smear document composed by Bob Mueller and Andrew Weistein to pursue their ultimate intention, which was to cover up the wrongdoing in the uh, Obama White House, the intelligence communities, and the FBI and Department of Justice. And I said uh, when I wrote an article months ago in The American Spectator that uh, Bob Mueller would not recommend any indictments uh, because he dare not take this case into court. Uh, First and foremost is because his appointment was fatally flawed to begin with. You can't possibly appoint the mentor and close longtime associate of Jim Comey to investigate whether or not the firing of Jim Comey constituted obstruction of justice. And sure enough, uh, Bob Mueller was true to his conflicts. He, uh, he, as former FBI director, steadfastly refused to look into the Russian interference in the election that uh, took place with the creation of the so-called Steele dossier. That Steele dossier, composed by a foreign agent, Christopher Steele, 
paid for by the Democrat National Committee and the Hillary Clinton campaign, was full of Russian-sponsored disinformation designed to, to defeat the Trump campaign. This whole narrative that you keep hearing that, uh, that Russia favored Trump over Clinton is the biggest pile of hooey you will ever hear. Hillary Clinton was promising to keep American oil reserves locked up in the ground, and Donald Trump was promising just the opposite, to unleash American, uh, the, the American energy sector. And Russia's economy is based almost entirely on petroleum and national, natural gas. It's absurd to suggest that they would have sided with Donald Trump when he was openly stating going in that he was going to harm uh, not only their economic interests, but really the whole basis for their economy. And the truth of the matter is, and it's yet to come forward, is that Russia worked on behalf of the Hillary Clinton campaign through Christopher Steele and then formulated this uh, this lie that somehow Donald Trump was a toady of Vladimir Putin. It's the old saw that you always hear of, uh, that the best defense is you accuse your opponent of doing what you are in fact doing. But this hearing this morning, absolutely compelling stuff. What's very clear from the takeaway, and we're going to have more excerpts from the hearing and tomorrow's show because uh, it's going to take some time to digest this and slice and dice it uh, to put it in a, um, a form that we can analyze. But I would, uh, at least if I were you, take, uh, take about 45 minutes and watch the opening of this, of this hearing. The Republicans, to their, uh, to their credit, are going after the larger context here while the Democrats are con- basically continuing to spray out a lot of squid ink to try to confuse the situation and claim that Donald Trump somehow obstructed justice d- despite the fact that he allowed his White House counsel, his attorney, to waive attorney-client privilege and give 30 hours of testimony before Robert Mueller. Absolutely unheard of. There's never been a case of... Um, of more cooperation from a White House into an independent or a special counsel in the history of that particular uh, monstrosity that uh, that the Congress created. <clears throat> but they're trying to focus on this claim that Donald Trump instructed John McGahn to fire Robert Mueller. Well, it came out in today's hearings that he never instructed uh, McCann to fire Robert Mueller, what he did, Trump instructed McCain, McCann sorry, to go to Rod Rosenstein and raise these disqualifying issues of conflict of interest, which is a perfectly legitimate concern on the president. These conflicts that Mueller uh, suffers from are so overwhelming and debilitating as to almost be laughable. And as I said, that's exactly why Robert Mueller would have never taken this case into any courtroom because the first thing out of the defense attorney's mouth would be raising these uh, these towering and blatant conflicts of interest, and the judge would dismiss the case. But they, uh, the Democrats, uh, tended to focus on that. Diane Feinstein and and um, 
Bob Leahy, I guess they're in their 80s now, approaching their 90s. Both of them uh, sort of rallied, uh, sort of impressive uh, that they were able to uh, formulate so uh, cogent yet deceptive arguments in defense of Robert Mueller. And what Robert Mueller's report finally uh, concluded was, one, there was no collusion and there was no um, conspiracy with the Trump administration and Russia. He had to conclude that because to do anything less would have ex- would have uh, invited scrutiny of the Department of Justice, the FBI, and the intelligence agencies and their coordination with the Hillary Clinton campaign, and it would have ultimately led right into the Obama White House. Robert Mueller and Andrew Weistein were never going to do that. And so they issued this second volume of, uh, of the report on obstruction of justice, where they steadfastly claim that they're not going to make any determination on that question. Well, that was their job. And and Bill Barr pointed out during this morning's hearing that if they weren't going to make a claim or they weren't going to make a determination on that, they should should have never investigated to begin with. Barr pointed out that it's not the job of the Department of Justice to do investigations unless they're doing so in order to refer criminal charges. And I just point out, by way of um, conclusion here, that Robert Mueller's office, in spite of all of these charges that they brought against Manafort and and Flynn and Roger Stone and uh, uh, Gates, none of it ever charged any of those people with colluding with Russia or with obstructing justice. And Bill Barr pointed out this morning that in the absence of an underlying crime, the evidence of obstruction has to be overwhelming. And the best the Democrats could hang their hat on was that McGahn, uh, that uh, Trump instructed McGahn to raise these issues of conflicts with Rod Rosenstein. Now, interestingly, Bill Barr sort of skirted that issue of conflicts of interests. He, um, he does not want to discredit Robert Mueller or his appointment and, uh, and in doing so discredit Rod Rosenstein as well. And I think this is all part of an institutional protection uh, you know, Bill Barr wants to come through this episode without shattering uh, the public faith in the Department of Justice, although he is promising to look into the, uh, the origins of the FISA uh, warrants, warrant, four of them against Carter Page that allowed the intelligence agencies to listen to all his communications and text messages and other communications going forward and backward. And with this two-hop rule, so-called, he would be allowed to, uh, the, the DOJ, FBI, and CIA would be allowed to look in and listen in on all of his communications with the Trump campaign. And this was going on during the presidential election, the 
the uh, FBI insists that it began in January of 2016 in the heat of the campaign, but it will ultimately come out if there is any truth to be found that this goes all the way back to the winter of 2015 when longtime CIA operative Felix Sater began dangling the prospect of a Trump Tower in Moscow before Michael Cohen, if only Michael Cohen can get Donald Trump to communicate directly with Vladimir Putin. But as I say, we're going we're gonna to get deep into this uh, in tomorrow's show. I'm going to bring you a lot of clips to illustrate my theory of the case, and I hope you'll tune in then. Well, Mother's Day is uh, right around the corner. I hope you've got it on your calendar and you're not going to forget your mom. I, I assume that you won't, but I've got a product here for you. It's from menostalgia.com, and that's spelled M-I-N-N-E-S-T-A-L-G-I-A. And if you can't remember that, just go to blazewildrice.com. They've got a great Mother's Day promotion where they're going to put together a fabulous Mother's Day crate for mom. It's got uh, some of their great products. It's got wild rice pancake mix. It is absolutely delicious. I've had it myself. With their rich, all-natural maple maple syrup, hazelnut honey, delicious blueberry jam, and and just a a crate of products that uh, your mother will so enjoy and remember you expressing your love for her through this gift for many, many days to come. You can have a 10% discount on this Mother's Day crate if you go to blazewildrice.com and enter the promo code MOM10. That's blazewildrice.com and the promo code is MOM10. You really need to do this for your mom. Well, I want to talk a little bit about now uh, this situation developing in Venezuela. And this is, uh, you know, I, with you probably saw uh, the videos yesterday of this uh, armored personnel carrier running over uh, anti-government protesters in the streets. And this was just so reminiscent of, of so many others uh, of the, uh, these socialist communist regimes throughout history. Tiananmen Square and the uh, the uprising in uh, Bulgaria against the USSR and what we've seen out of uh, communist Cuba. And you just wonder, why didn't any intrepid reporter go and ask um, Bernie Sanders or any of these Hollywood glitterati that so supported the Venezuelan socialist dictatorship under uh, Maduro and and um, and the dictator prior to that. Why did they not ask them? You have been singing the praises of this uh, this regime down there for years and years, and now it has ultimately ended in what uh, what these regimes inevitably end in. And uh, what what's your comment? And this is the beauty of having the total control over the mainstream media, like the the socialist Democrats do. But I've got a clip here for you. Uh, This was a bit of truth that somehow seeped through on the air of MSNBC yesterday when uh, uh, an analyst was commenting on Andrea Mitchell's show. 
We've spent a lot of time down there. I think it has been surprising to a lot of people in Washington, in the administration at least, that this is taking longer than they thought, despite the sanctions, despite the pressure. With the help of Russia and other outside forces, Maduro is hanging on. Not only hanging on, but he appears to still control the military. You have to understand in Venezuela, gun ownership is not something that is open to everybody. So if the military have the guns, they have the power. And as long as Nicolas Maduro controls the military, he controls the country. Well, let's take another listen to that, because this is something that uh, you normally would not hear on MSNBC. And what the founding fathers had in mind when they placed it in the Second Amendment of the Constitution that the people's rights to keep and bear arms will not be infringed. It's not for hunting, although that's a great side effect. It's not for personal self-protection, although that too is a God-given right. But it is to act as a check on an overarching uh, oppressive governmental regime. Ownership is not something that is the military. You have to understand in Venezuela, gun ownership is not something that is open to everybody. So if the military have the guns, they have the power. And as long as Nicolas Maduro controls the military, he controls the country. And Wado and his supporters have tried to peacefully protest. They have gathered in large numbers. What we You know, what you, you can learn by watching uh, Venezuela is peaceful protest do not... Uh, displace an intractable, uh, entrenched communist regime. And they are a communist regime under uh, Nicolas Maduro. They're propped up by communist China. And they're also propped up by communist Cuba. And Russia's down there meddling as well. I think Russia's meddling because uh, this is payback for us being in their backyard fomenting a coup in the pro-Russian Ukrainian government and sort of trying to send a message to the United States, if you mess around in our backyard, we're going to ignore the longstanding Monroe Doctrine and mess around in yours. You remember the Soviet Union uh, got involved in Central America, in uh, El Salvador, during the Reagan administration, trying to install a communist regime there. And Donald Trump, or Donald Trump, uh, Ronald Reagan and Oliver North pushed back by supporting the Contras so that they were freedom fighters trying to keep a communist regime from taking hold down there. And of course, the left-wing Democrats at the time steadfastly opposed that and wanted to just uh, leave the door wide open for Russia and its client state Cuba uh, to take hold in El Salvador, and they they tried Nicaragua, I'm sorry, not El Salvador, Nicaragua, and they tried, the Democrats did, to impeach Ronald Reagan because he tried to maintain the integrity of the Monroe Doctrine. If you're not familiar with it, and a lot of my listeners were not taught this in school, the Monroe Doctrine said that foreign powers will not interfere in North and South America the Western, or the Western Hemisphere, to try to uh, install puppet regimes. And neither will the United States. Now, the United States obviously violated that uh, several times through CIA assassination and, and overthrow attempts in uh, Central and South America. But it is a sound doctrine. We should not be meddling in the uh, internal affairs of governments uh, in the Western Hemisphere, and nor should we allow 
foreign governments, especially communist foreign governments, to do so. And so the question now arises whether, um, you know, the United States should intervene militarily in Venezuela in order to uh, unseat the Maduro government. And it's a complicated question. I I watched Tucker Carlson last night, and he he seemed to uh, say that this was a clear-cut situation where we need to mind our own business. And I would agree if it were not for the fact that China, Russia, and Cuba are down there trying to install a toehold on a oil-rich South American nation. So I guess what my uh, prescription would be is to try to uh, get Russia and China and Cuba out of there and let the Venezuelan people deal with it themselves. And the reporting is that Maduro was, in fact, on the tarmac, ready to flee the country for Cuba when the Russians convinced him that they knew how to uh, suppress these types of popular uprisings. I'm sure they were using the model that uh, Fidel Castro perfected through decades of the repression of the Cuban freedom-loving people. And Maduro um, decided to try to hold on. So it's a, it's a terrible situation, and it, it uh, is there largely because the Obama administration and their leftist allies believed in the socialist regime that was uh, entrenching itself in Venezuela and had a hands-off uh, posture toward what was going on. And this allowed China and Russia that are thirsty for Venezuelan oil to swoop in. And I got to I got to make a comment here, and this is on John Bolton. John Bolton is an absolute disaster. I warned against his uh, um, installment at the, as the national security advisor, but so much of the national security America first, uh, or so much of the national security establishment had abandoned Donald Trump and his America first agenda that Bob Bolton was the last man standing. But Bob Bolton has a uh, a long-standing habit of one rattling the saber when it's uh, when it's inappropriate, and two um, making statements that feed right into his opposition. And here is John Bolton speaking with Trish Regan on Fox Business, and uh, and he makes it seem, and this this statement that uh, he he utters here will be used against American interests that the reason we're supporting the freedom-loving people of Venezuela is not to keep China and Russia and Cuba from establishing a socialist regime there, but rather for American business interests. We're looking at the oil assets. That's the single most uh, important income stream to the government of Venezuela. We're looking at what to do to that. We want everybody to know we're, we're looking at all this very seriously. We don't want any American businesses or investors caught by surprise. They can see what President Trump did yesterday. We're following through on it. Uh, so if you think of a company like Sitco, which is owned by Pedavesa, which is the state-run oil company there in Venezuela, we have a lot of those Sitco assets right here in the U.S., is that something, for example, sir, that you're looking at? 
Yeah, look, we're in conversation with major American companies now that are either in Venezuela or in the case of Citgo here in the United States. Uh, I think we're trying to get to the same end result here. You know, uh, Venezuela is one of the three countries I call the Troika of Tyranny. It'll make a big difference to the United States economically if we could have American oil companies really invest in and, and produce the oil uh, capabilities in uh, Venezuela. It'd be good for the people of Venezuela. It'd be good for the people of the United States. We both have a lot at stake here making this come out the right way. What a buffoon. What a buffoon. At a time when he should be focusing on the real sacrifice and, and uh, dangers being faced by the Venezuelan people as they try to unseat this socialist dictatorship. Bolton goes to the microphone and says, uh, we need to do this. We need to support them because it's good for American business. What a buffoon. We got to run out to a break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Rabbi R.A. Spiro. He's going to talk about uh, the hate crime that was conducted at the uh, synagogue in Poway and uh, take a look at the 2020 Democrat presidential primaries as they're shaping up. And he's got a lot to say about the apparent frontrunner at this point, old creepy Joe Biden. So stick to uh, stick with us. There's just going to be two commercials and then we'll be right back after these messages on right now with Jim Dawes. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Need an extra hand with dinner? Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot, and Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology will fill it with the perfect amount of water. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to discover more. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 5.0 Radio Network. In the aftermath of the attack at the Shabab of Poway Synagogue in suburban San Diego, the Democrats and their media shills are struggling for a rationale to blame the anti-Semitic hate crime on, you guessed it, Donald Trump. This despite the fact that Donald Trump is the most pro-Israeli president in our history and that the Democrat Party has become home to a particularly virulent strain of anti-Semitism. To discuss this and other issues, we're joined now by Rabbi R.A. Spiro, President for the Caucus of America and Spokesperson for the National Conference of Jewish Affairs. He's author of Pushback, Reclaiming Our American Judeo-Christian Ethos, and you can find the book on Walmart.com or on Amazon. Rabbi Spiro, thank you for joining us right now. Oh, my pleasure. So, Rabbi, uh, Brett Stevens, uh, the columnist for the New York Times, appeared yesterday on MSNBC 
Uh, and he's joined this chorus of uh, the Democrats and their media mouthpieces trying to blame uh, the hate crime at the Poway Synagogue on President Trump. And I want to play for you a little clip of what he had to say and then get you to respond to it. Yeah, I think that um, Eddie really touched on the core point here, which is that uh, even if the president doesn't approve, condone, support any of the people who have carried out the kind of killing that you saw in San Diego or before that uh, at the Tree of Life synagogue in, uh, uh, in Pittsburgh, his the whole tenor, the whole spirit of his politics gives these people what they see as a kind of permission. It, re- it reminds me... Uh, so Rabbi Brett Stevens of the New York Times is blaming the environment uh, that uh, on Donald Trump that caused this hate crime. What do you what do you think about that? Well, Brett Stevens is not a credible person when it comes to the president because he is a never Trumper. He's one of the fathers of the whole never Trumper movement. He has not liked President Trump. He's blamed President Trump for everything. Uh, and so when he criticizes President Trump or goes even so far as to blame him for the atmosphere that caused the shooting at the Chabad synagogue, he's a very prejudiced person. He does not see things objectively when it comes to Donald Trump. Now, it happens to me that what happened at the synagogue was the shooting of Jewish people. President Trump could in no way be involved in that because he's been the biggest friend, as you've said, to Israel and the Jewish community. I remember Donald Trump when he was just Donald Trump in New York City, and he was providing the Jewish community there with all types of uh, charitable donations. He was the Grand Marshal at the Israel Day Parade. His father had even donated part of one of their apartments in the Queens area as a synagogue. So this is a very pro-Jewish man. He never would say anything that would rile up someone to kill Jews. Uh, so this is just, it's, it's really a lie. What can I say? Well, it occurs to me that Brett Stevens is uh, uniquely ill-suited to be making this comments uh, just the day after the New York Times published not one but two anti-Semitic editorial cartoons in its overseas edition and had to apologize. Isn't that something? Now, the New York Times, with that cartoon, they're the ones that are inciting Jew hatred, hatred for Israel. I love it when these liberals, they pontificate to us that if we don't sneeze the right way, if we burp the wrong way, that somehow we're guilty of shootings when it's them, the New York Times, that is publishing cartoons that are absolutely anti-Semitic, sending the message that it's okay to demonize Israel and, and, and Jews and certain types of Jews if you're a Zionist, which I am, and they don't take any responsibility for that or what they can cause. They're, they're hypocrites, and they're blinded by their hate of Trump and also their hate of regular Americans who are very thankful that there's a President Trump who's finally sticking up for the forgotten Americans. Let me just say something. For the last 50 years, 
The only thing that matters to the liberal media and to the Democrat Party and to the culture are people who are not Christian or people who are not white. But if you've been a Christian white and certainly a Christian white male, you have been glossed over, ignored. People are indifferent. Policies are made that can hurt you and harm your future and opportunity. You don't count. And President Trump says, no, I care about the working man. Hey, his job in the coal mine makes a difference, or in the oil fields, or in the lumber yards. And he's right. And that doesn't incite anybody to violence. But the other side is just not used to anybody standing up against them with a different agenda. So they lie. And Brett Stevens, in this case, is wrong. He's a never-comfort. And you can't trust him on this. He's not a credible observer. The lack of self-awareness for him to come out and make these statements right in the aftermath of this just blatantly anti-Semitic editorial cartoon, not one, but two, that the New York Times published just blew my mind. But, you know, there there is sort of a defining characteristic of people on the left, and that seems to be hypocrisy. And the same is, uh, is true for the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party has now become home to uh, an anti-Semitic caucus, if you will, uh, that, uh, you know, are acolytes of Louis Farrakhan and, and say uh, anti-Semitic things on the floor of the House of Representatives. And, and uh, their, their own party will not even call them to account. Yes, I think maybe Brett Stevens should have looked at the fact that Elon Omar, a Democrat from Minnesota, an Islamic woman, she's very proud of being Islamic. That's who she is. Why not? I'm proud of being Jewish. People should be proud of being American, Christian. She's been spewing forth anti-Semitic remarks, and the Democrat Party would not condemn her. They would not even condemn anti-Semitism in and of itself. So if you're Brett Stevens, you should say, hey, listen, this is the problem. When you've got a Democrat Party that allows anti-Semitism to be uttered constantly and nothing is done, well, aren't you sending a message that somehow, well, we don't care about killing Jews or harming Jews? One of the little one of the little tricks that the the Democrats and the media uh, play is every four years during the presidential election they always run to the Republican candidate and demand that they disavow and disown David Duke and Ku Klux Klansmen and all sorts of other knuckle dragging you know dead enders but you never see them go approach uh, Ilhan Omar for instance or Rashid Tlaib or Keith Ellison and demand that they disavow uh, Louis Farrakhan, that they have, at, have in fact, had relations with, and uh, in the case of um, Rashid Tlaib, even published uh, in, in the uh, Nation of Islam's uh, newspaper, I think it's called The Call, uh, and, and, of course, uh, Keith Ellison, who was in, in Congress and is now the sitting attorney general in Minnesota, um, was a uh, a staunch Louis Farrakhan supporter and wrote position papers in support of him. Well, of course, because the Democrats know that in order to win, they need the black vote, the Islamic vote, uh, the illegal immigrant vote, and they're not going to do anything that would upset them. They're not interested 
in protecting and doing what's right. They're interested in winning elections. So, but Rabbi, now, here's the question I have: Why do so? With such a large percentage of the Jewish community continue to vote for a party that has allowed uh, anti-Semitism to make a home in in that party? Because unfortunately, most of the Jewish people, what do they do? They read the New York Times. They read liberal newspapers and magazines. They watch CNN and MSNBC. All the information that they're getting is one-sided. They don't know, to the degree that you and I know, and millions and tens of millions of conservatives, they don't know. They live in a bubble, a liberal bubble, a cultural bubble, and what they read only reinforces that liberalism. I am telling you, they don't know what you and I know. I, I was, the other day, was Passover. We had someone over, and I was telling them that in France, the Jews in France are very afraid because Islamic young people have been stalking them, went into a, uh, a synagogue and killed some people. Some Islamic people then went to what's called the yeshiva, which is the Hebrew name for a, a parochial school for Jewish kids. Shot them dead. They threw out a woman, a Holocaust survivor, in her apartment in Paris off the third floor and killed her. She didn't even know. This is a Jewish woman. She goes to the synagogue. And I said, well, how do you not know this? The whole world knows this. Well, she says, I didn't read it in the Times. I said, so all you do is read. So this is, we have so many Jewish people that are ignorant of what's happening to their own people because they're in a liberal cultural bubble. You know, one of the characteristics of a propaganda um, organ like the New York Times is not only that they publish disinformation and, um, you know, spin uh on one side of every issue, but but what they don't print, and you're absolutely right, the crisis that's going on in France and Germany and uh, and, and uh, Great Britain uh, with regard, you know, to uh, terrorism and, and uh, religious hate crimes against Christians and Jews gets almost no coverage. And even on Fox News the other day, uh, they, they had Cardinal Timothy Dolan come on um, uh, uh, Cavuto's show uh, in the aftermath of the fire at Notre Dame, and he just uh, wanted to talk about uh, the the rash, the plague of uh, arson attacks on Catholic churches and, and uh, vandalism. And, of course, uh, you know, the, uh, the Catholic priest had his throat cut while holding mass in one of the right. churches, and Cavuto cut Cardinal Dolan off and wouldn't even allow him to speak about it. Now, I know about that segment, and it was quite alarming to me because all he wanted to do was just explore a possibility, but a very reasonable possibility given that in the last year 1,000 churches have been vandalized, and it's by Muslims in France, and the year before it was 600. So to just quickly assume, though, it couldn't be terrorism, it couldn't be arson, I think that's ridiculous. If you have an open mind, you've got to say, well, there is a history here. 
And if Fox News itself is unwilling to uh, investigate, be open to a, 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 a bona fide question, then what happens over certainly at MSNBC and CNN, and most Jewish people, that's what they're watching. Because they are liberal, they are Democrats, so they, they don't watch Fox. They don't even read the Wall Street Journal except maybe maybe to, to see what their stocks are doing. But now that you have Internet, you don't have to do that either. And they don't know. I was talking to a Jewish person. I'm a rabbi. This is what I do. I talk to Jews. And I was mentioning to her that in the Koran, the Koran looks at Jews as infidels and it talks about killing Jews, killing Christians too, which I thought everybody in the world knew. She didn't know. And when I said it, she says, you're an Islamophobe or whatever, a racist. I said, what do you mean? It's not, I'm not making this up. This is in their book. They are totally ignorant. Now, you do have, I have to say, you do have some Jews that are really hardcore leftists. And they no longer, although they were born Jewish and they still have Jewish-sounding names, they no longer really care about uh, the survival of the Jewish people, their family, but the Jewish people per se, they don't care. They don't care about the our Torah, our Bible. They're into this leftism and intersectionality and transnationalism and radical multiculturalism. And you know, one more point. The left, in the name of social justice, can do anything. You can be Antifa and, and, and you can be beating up people, but if you do it in the name of social justice, you can get away with everything. Hypocrisy, uh, beating up people. People are so people are so ignorant of their history. Uh, you know, the, um, the Antifa movement are just the corollary to the Nazis um, from, from Europe. They're the, they're the shock troops for the Communist Party who, uh, who is responsible for over 100 million deaths in the last um, in the last uh, century. And, you know, we're allowing these people to get a toehold now and, and, and actually being um, justified. In the New York Times, they ran an article, is it okay to punch a Nazi? And, of course, they, they said uh, that, yes, it is okay to punch a Nazi, and the Antifas, of course, are the ones that get to decide who Nazis are. So it basically, you know, validated that they're, uh, they're justified in carrying on street violence where they attack cops, uh, conduct arsons, uh, attack total strangers on the street, you know, bust heads and everything. And, and, uh, and, and then they claim, then they turn around and point a finger at Donald Trump and his supporters trying to claim that they're creating an atmosphere of hate. What they've done is they've given the stamp of approval the left to itself to do the most heinous thing, beat up people, because it's in the name, number one, of social justice, and number two, they've decided, because they don't agree with us, that they can call us Nazis, and now they're defending themselves against the Nazis. Well, this is pernicious. This is really evil. Um, what you're doing is you're giving... A, uh, a stamp of approval to your criminality simply by saying someone is something that they're really not. But these people on the left cannot tolerate anyone. Well, it, with according them. to their, uh, you know, their decision to make anyone that supports President Trump is is uh, is a Nazi, and they're uh, allowed to attack them. Uh, Rabbi, I want to get a little bit into this uh, this 
rise of Joe Biden as the uh, odds-on favorite to to get the nomination for the Democrats' uh, uh, presidential candidate. Um, I saw him um, yesterday. He was at a uh, union hall, and he was uh, he was backed up by a whole bunch of uh, union uh, members. I am from the union movement. I was a president, a state president for the International Association of Firefighters that you see out there supporting this man, and it just uh, it, it sort of breaks my heart. It's kind of like organized labor is stuck on stupid. They don't realize, um, you know, these are the same same establishment swamp creatures that have sold out their interests for the last 40 years, and they keep making the same mistakes. Um, What do you think about uh, uh, Joe Biden versus Donald Trump um, in the uh, 2020 campaign? Just getting back to the whole thing about unions, among the rank and file, not all of them are stupid. No, they know the truth, many of them. I would say 45 to maybe 60% of certain union people. They are not ignorant people. They know what the truth is, and they don't support these lefty candidates because most of the union people, they love America. They might have been raised like their fathers and grandfathers as Democrats and the whole thing that the Democrat Party was for the common man. You know, we've heard all this a thousand times. But even that, having said that, they do love America. And they do cherish traditional family life and traditional values. And so many of them know that there's a difference between a Democrat, uh, many of whom are socialists, uh, uh, seem to always criticize America, uh, seem to be open to all of these aberrations that are harmful to family life. But the unions are run by union bosses. Well, there, there's no question. Their money is best achieved to the Democrat Party. The union bosses are in the swamp. They're part of the swamp, and they're always going to make more money because of the Democrat Party than they will ever, ever make if a Republican is elected. So that's the problem that we have with the unions. It's the union leaders. I might not be quite so cynical as you. Uh, uh, It it occurs to me, or what I've uh, uh, observed firsthand, is the vast majority of the union membership are uh, socially conservative, uh, economically populist, and natural uh, constituencies for uh, Trump's Make America First Again movement. Um, but the leaders there have been in bed so long with the Democrats because the Democrats are absolutely willing to offer, uh, to promise the stars and the moon to get somebody's vote. But when it comes down to actually implementing policy, they'll, they'll promise working people, the, the moon and the stars, but then they'll deliver, uh, policies for the Davos globalists that are definitely, or that are directly opposed to working people's interests and to see unions line up behind this, uh, the so-called lunch bucket, Joe Biden, who voted for NAFTA, voted for permanent norm- normal trade relations with communist China, opposed the Keystone XL pipeline, sold out the country on this Paris climate accord just blows my mind. It's like the leaders are stuck on stupid and the, uh, the rank and file just cannot be represented. I think hopefully a lot of this will come out. Joe Biden is not Mr. Lunch Bucket. You know, he's from uh, Scranton, PA, Lackawanna County. (laughs) 
But that's a million years ago. He is someone who's really part of the deep state. Uh, he's no more any lunch bucket. Uh, we all know the stories about his brother getting a plum job, being assigned a plum job, and then that company that the brother was assigned to uh, receiving contracts from the government boosted his salary. And we know about how his son, Joe Biden's son, was involved with the Ukraine. He was really, that's a real collusion, Ukrainian collusion, much worse than Manafort. And there are other things in the family, uh, the Biden family. <laughs> They're very much, in, in a way like the Kennedys, certain things that they do that are, are not so wholesome. I know, I, I, I know Joe Biden. I, I've uh, I've sat across the desk with from him, and and uh, and I've been to many conventions uh, where you know I've uh, I've spoken with him. I can tell you, he is not a high energy guy. He's approaching 70, 77 years old now. He'll be seventy eight if he were to be elected president, and uh, he is not um, he is not a young old man. You know, Trump is a is a very energetic, uh, vital. Uh, older man this is not joe biden uh joe biden this this uh this campaign is just beginning and he's already starting to look tired and slur his words uh, i think they're going to have another um a reincarnation of hillary clinton uh if if they go with joe biden well then, 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 then good they should go with joe biden <laughs> not with joe biden these guys are really they're leftists he's a globalist that's dangerous to the country, transnationalist. Uh, he's going to capitulate to every uh, aberration, social, anti-family aberration. Already, this is what's very disturbing to me. He started off his campaign talking against white privilege and white males and white this. This is a real bigotry. I just cannot understand people who sell their own background, their own family their own particular group, they sell them down the river. It's they unbelievable. If you're a white man and you're running in the Democrat uh, primaries, it is it is a requirement that you apologize for being white, to, to declare yourself to be the beneficiary of uh, white privilege and nothing you uh, have achieved you've done on your own. And it's it's uh, it's embarrassing to see them grovel and, and prostrate themselves to these uh, gods of political correctness in order to try to get these people, the, the social justice warriors' approval. But this is all bigotry. What if someone would say, uh, you know, I'm sick of black privilege, or I'm sick of black men, I'm sick of blackness. That would be bigotry, racist, and he'd be thrown out of the country. And here you have candidates who say, I'm sick of whiteness, and white privilege, and white men are toxic. They say this thing. This is bigotry. And my biggest concern is it shows you how the other side really thinks. In order for you to get elected, to get and to get the votes of certain groups, you have to condemn white people. Well, doesn't that mean that evidently the people that like to hear this, they must be racist. You would never get my vote because you say, I'm sick of white men and white men are toxic and I'm sick of white people and white privilege. I would not be enamored by that. I wouldn't give you my vote because you say those things. 
all of those. In order to get the vote of certain groups, isn't that telling you that those groups are anti-white? That those people must be very uh, bigoted against white people if that's what gives them a rise and says, hey, 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 you say that, I'll vote for you. And if those candidates will sell out themselves and their own, own people in order to achieve power, then they can't be trusted. You know, all of this is part of the cultural Marxist movement that has taken root on universities throughout this country. And every university, state-funded and private, across this country, they've got these identity departments, um, you know, uh, for minorities and uh, gender studies and um, sexual orientation. And they've got tenured professors that really sit around all day ginning up arguments on why they're victims and they're members of the victim class. And, of course, if they're going to be victims, then somebody has to be the oppressor. And that, of course, is falling to uh, to white people and especially white men. And uh, and it, it has escaped the academy now, and it's uh, running rampant in the Democrat Party. Could you imagine if there was on colleges a thing for white studies? That could never be. You know, people would say that that's, that that's somehow, um, but that's, that's racist. I don't know why we accept all this. It's uh, uh it's, it, ra- it's, ra- it's racism, but it's, it's just a new form of, of um, uh, sort of devious uh, racism. Uh, you know, they're trying to say that everybody else is morally retarded and, uh, you know, that the, uh, the history of the world um, is, uh, justifies uh, their racism. Rabbi, I want to play. I want to play for you a clip real quick before we run out of time. Um, but this is old Joe Biden at this union hall the other night in uh, in Pittsburgh, giving his campaign. And you tell me if this guy th- sounds like he's up for a, a long haul in this presidential campaign. I want to thank uh, uh, Rich Fitzgerald, the county executive, Allegheny County executive, for being here. And all my time in public life, from I've gotten involved, the country wasn't built by Wall Street bankers, CEOs, and hedge and hedge fund managers. If the enterprise hits hard times, everybody took a hit. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is, uh, is going to get ugly. Can you imagine uh, coming into the home stretch in uh, November of 2019 if, if uh, he's already slurring his words? Oh, but worse than that, he's a pervert. You see how many times oh. he goes behind these women. Oh, he my holds God. on to their it's shoulders. The, real it's tight. the children, Rabbi. It's the children that I can't, uh, I, I can't abide. We're at, we're at a time. I, w- I could talk to you all night, but uh, Rabbi R.A. Spiro is the um, is the president for the Caucus for America and spokesperson for the National Conference of Jewish Affairs. You can find him on Twitter at Rabbi Spiro and buy his book pushback reclaiming our american judeo-christian ethos available at walmart and on amazon rabbi thanks for joining us tonight on right now this episode is sponsored by schwans.com what are you having for dinner tonight hmm good question Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. 
Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details. This episode is sponsored by schwans.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details.